0: Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. Get your Bible out this morning or your phone or your iPad, or open your Bible, open your phone, open your eyes, maybe, for some of you, and uh, turn, to, turn, if you would, to John 1 for me. Turn to John 1. Uh, and and when you are turning there? Can I tell you, this was an unusual week for me. I don't know that I had a week like this in a long time, or maybe ever. I'm not really sure. As you guys will know, if you were here last week, my wife and I had the privilege of bringing the Word at Desert Valley Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, pastored by our former youth pastor, outreach pastor, Josh and Christina Pinkston. Uh, many of you you know and love. And so greetings from all of them to all of you. And we had a great time to just love on them and bring the word, bring your love and encouragement as well. And so we just really enjoyed our time. On Monday, we went to the airport. I won't give you this long airport story if you heard a couple of weeks ago. I have airports. And let me tell you, it was another one for the books. I won't give that to you right now this morning. Uh, we were coming home, switching planes in Denver. I was uh, switching planes in Denver to come all the way home. Jessamie got off in Denver. She has an aunt that lives in Denver and they already planned a trip back in February. To spend some time together, take a little road trip. And so we get on the, we're, we're about ready to land, and, and uh, my wife is like, Well, where, we have the United app, right? Where's your, where's your next flight? When does it leave? And I, and I look at it and I, and I said, Oh, it's supposed to leave or supposed to start boarding before we even land. Praise the Lord. And I look at my wife. She does all the booking. Why did you do that? And she's like, I don't know. I just picked the flight, and we had a delay leaving Phoenix, and, and I'm just I'm, I'm a stressful flyer. I'm not afraid to fly. I'm just an anxious traveler, I guess. And so I'm already thinking, and she's like, what gate do we get in? We get in at gate 12, and she says, what gate do you leave from? I said, gate 42. And she's like, oh, they're right by each other. I said, right by each other? That's 30 gates. And so I get to my gate. When and they load the plane from the back to the front now by row. And they're like, row 25 and higher. And I'm on row eight because I have to be at the front so I can get off early. It's just my comfort. And so I'm like, OK, I have a chance to go to the bathroom come back. And I'm waiting. And all of a sudden, I hear my name over the intercom. Uh, Donald Duncan, would you come to the ticket agent counter? And I'm like, are you serious? And I'm like, what could, what could it be? Oh, maybe they're giving me an upgrade. And so I get to the ticket counter. And the lady goes, sir, we have your phone. And I'm like, no, I have my phone. And it was my wife's phone. And I'm like, are you kidding me? How did you get that? And I'm thinking she was getting off going to baggage claim and going to meet her aunt. And long story short, we're able to, I was able to leave it with the agent. I called her aunt and all kinds of craziness. Can I just have a regular flight, please? All I asked is that too much to ask. And so I got home and that was kind of set the tone for the week and uh, my oldest daughter Callie moved to Utah on Wednesday so we got her amazing story I'll share that sometime we got her off to this amazing horse ranch she took a job up there my wife and her aunt's road trip from Denver was actually already planned to Salt Lake City to see some friends of my aunt's so my, my wife and aunt got to, or her aunt got to pick Callie up at the airport in Salt Lake City So when does that happen? when all that was planned other than God, you know? And so that was cool. And so I'm scrambling and trying to get her ready. She's leaving Wednesday morning, getting Monday night. Well, while I'm in Scottsdale, I get a text uh, from my spiritual father, uh, Pastor Gerald Brooks. And I don't know if you know this or not, but this Thursday at the Capitol, this past Thursday, they were uh, talking, the House was debating legislation, the committee was, uh, concerning House Bill uh, 525, which is uh, a bill that's trying to be passed that can be voted on. As a constitutional amendment, that churches from this point forward will now be deemed um, essential and therefore could never be shut down or deemed non essential into the future. I mean, no, that's a great bill to have passed, amen? So, super excited about that. I was honored to have an opportunity to speak on behalf of the bill, and so I was super crazy time a couple of days trying to get Cali ready, get to the Capitol Wednesday night, spend the night, all day Thursday we were up there, and then Friday had some meetings I needed to be at. On the other side of San Antonio for REMA, that I'm part of the RHEMA organization. So here I am today, and right now, let's just pray that God gives me a message. All right, Father, we just thank you for this time. The reality is God's always speaking to us. Amen, and especially during this week, and I believe he's put something in my heart to share with you this morning. Uh, but I do, I do want to say that I am so thankful for all of you, for my team, and just carrying the ball. They did a great job. Pastor Rob last week. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, amen. Yeah, Rob did a great job. The team, I just... Honestly, I'd stress out for nothing, Uh, you know, it's just, uh, they got it all, and so just trying to navigate some of the things God's uh, asking me to do. And so this morning, as we're looking at, you know, Palm Sunday and uh, Holy Week, I was just asking the Lord, okay, God, I was asking asking him yesterday, can I just be honest with you because I had such a week okay, Lord, uh, let's let's talk about this now. Let's talk about where we want to go this morning. And I really felt the Lord impressed upon my heart. There is an aspect of, of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem I think is important to note, but then I felt God really wanted me to emphasize a particular thing. So what we know is Jesus was entering Jerusalem. It was the week before he was to be crucified and then his resurrection. And so as he's entering in Jerusalem, if you know the story, I don't have time to read it, but as he's entering in Jerusalem, it's the first time Jesus actually comes to do anything Acknowledging that he is the king. In fact, if you note, when Jesus, a lot of the miracles that Jesus would do and around the crowds, he would ask people, don't tell anybody what happened. You know, he would, a lot of times, he would kind of Let's just keep this between us, if you will. But that's impossible to keep a lid on, on miracles. And he just had raised Lazarus from the dead just a few days earlier, and word had spread about that. And so when people knew that he was entering Jerusalem, a great crowd gathered. And it was part of the plan for him to acknowledge himself for the first time as a king. And to do so, he rode in on a donkey, which is interesting. Back in that day, culturally, it's what a ruler would do when entering a town or a city in peace. Now, if he was entering in a time of war, he would enter on a war horse. But King Jesus, the king of kings and the prince of peace, came in on a donkey intentionally signifying that the king has come. And now the crowds are gathering. And so what happens is it infuriates the religious crowd because now all these people are acknowledging Jesus as king. And then it infuriates the Romans because they knew that, that he was not a king, that he was not going to, you know, that he's going to try and usurp our authority here. But what Jesus was doing is he was starting, the, it was the catalyst to start heading towards the crucifixion. In a sense, he was lighting the fire of crucifixion by coming in on a donkey and igniting, if you will, this sense of here comes the king, Hosanna, Hosanna, which literally means save now. So the people are crying out, here comes the king, save us now, deliver us from these oppressive Romans, deliver us, be our savior, which would be blasphemy to the religious crowd. But that needed to happen because Jesus didn't need to come in. He needed to come in as a king, but he needed to go to the cross as the lamb. And so somehow... It had to be stoked. The fires had to be stoked for things to be set into motion. And so that's how Jesus entered into Jerusalem. He came in as a king, declaring as a king, but he really came in as the Lamb of God. And I thought about that for this morning. What does that mean for you? And I think it's important that we recognize that he is the Lamb of God because it is so significant, not just to our belief system, but our salvation, our life of victory that's been provided from that. So take a look at what John 129 says, New King James Version it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him. This is not the triumphal entry, this is earlier. And he said this, Behold, exclamation. So basically John said it wasn't like for himself, like, like, wow, here he comes. It was like, hey, hey, behold, attention, please, everyone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, stop talking, stop talking. Okay, behold, you need to know this: the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here he comes. And that was significant because John was really trying to get everybody's attention because for centuries, the Israelites had been looking for the one who had been foretold or promised or prophesied about that would deliver them, but deliver them from sin. And now here, John was saying, behold, the one we've been hearing about, the one we've been reading the prophecies in the Old Testament scripture about, it's him. He's here. Here he comes. Behold, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. We have been waiting for centuries. This wait is over. John the Baptist, the wait is over. Now, in order to really understand or appreciate what John was saying here, we need to go back to the beginning and why is this important? How do we understand fully or appreciate that statement there? The Lamb of God. But you really got to go all the way back to the Garden, Garden of Eden, where there's only two people on the planet: it's Adam and Eve. And all of a sudden, God gives them instructions on how to live. And he says, you can have anything you want, but this tree right here, don't eat from this one. And we know the story, the serpent, the devil comes in, deceives Eve, and she partakes and gives to her husband, partakes. Sin all of a sudden comes into the world. And now there's a realization by Adam and Eve that, that sin has become between them and God. And now they're afraid. And what does the Bible say they do? They hid themselves from God, but then they took big fig leaves and tied them together and tried to cover. What were they really trying to cover? Their sin. That's what they were doing because now they're trying to, wow, we really blew it now and God's not going to be happy. This is not what he wanted, what he intended. We were supposed to live a different life. We made a different choice of our own and now and now all they knew to do and their heart was right, I believe, is we got to cover our sin. How can we cover our sin? We, we We're going to do things in our own strength and ability to do that. The problem is their attempt to cover their sin was unacceptable to God whom they sinned against. And I think that's important for you and I to know because God whom we sin against, the God who is perfect, the God who is holy, he has a standard that represents and reflects him and our attempts to cover our sin fall short of a holy and perfect God. And no matter how hard you try or how good your heart is in doing it, I am so sorry, God. Please, I did not mean Adam and Eve had to be heartbroken. Oh, God, forgive me. I wish we wouldn't have done that. We're doing everything we know to do and that's still not enough and that seems unfair, but God made a way. God who is just needed to punish sin and it needed to be on a standard that was equal to who was sinned against. And so God not only had a standard that seems like too high for mankind and in reality it is, but then he provided the lamb to pay for the sin. I mean, how good is our God? He's like, "Hey, listen, listen, here's the standard here because here's who and we want we don't want to lower God to our standards for goodness sake. No. And so, so God says, here's the standard and it's me. And then we know that we can't ever elevate to that standard. That's an impossibility. And thank God, but God said, no worries. This isn't unfair. I'll provide for you. What kind of love is that you sin, but I got you. I'm going to provide the sacrifice for it. I love that picture. You know, in the old Testament, he came up with a way to avert his judgment, but only on a temporary basis. And that was through the sacrifices. And if you were to read Hebrews 9, chapter 9 rather, you can read Hebrews chapter 10. It talks about sacrifices. And God says these sacrifices could not fix the problem of sin. All they could do was delay the judgment of sin. And every year you would see the high priest would go into and, and the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement with his sacrifice for the people of God. And then individuals uh, throughout the course of the year on a regular basis, they would also offer sacrifices a, and they would offer a sacrifice of a lamb. It was the Old Testament system, and in doing that, God's judgment would pass them by. The Old Testament system also pointed to and looked ahead to the day when God would provide a permanent solution to the problem of sin by having an acceptable sacrifice, one that would meet the standard of the one who was sinned against. And so the sacrifice of the lamb was for the purpose of being a substitution or substitution payment for you and I. God had to judge sin because he's just, so sin had to be judged. And so the Old Testament was looking ahead as it was sacrificing lambs throughout the course of time and for the time when God would provide the perfect lamb. Isaiah 53, 3-7 through says this. He is despised and rejected by men, a man, by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and he and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the Lamb of God, the sinner or iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shear is silent, so opened not his mouth. Amazing. He was the sacrificial lamb. Behold, John the Baptist says, we found him, the Lamb of God. And now he's not just the Lamb, he's the Lamb of God. He's just not a solution, he is God's solution. He's not man's solution, he's God's solution. Man has tried lots of solutions, but they're not God's solution. And if it's not God's solution, it's not acceptable. And that seems like we're preaching to the choir this morning, but understand there's a whole lot of people in this world living and that will live that think they can find an acceptable solution outside of God's solution, and it's impossible. And therefore, people end up deceived and go to, that's why days like today or Easter week or Holy week is so important to remind us That is the Lamb of God, God's solution to the problem that is of most important. Behold the Lamb of God. 1 Corinthians 5-7 says this, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed. Another translation says, Our Passover Lamb was sacrificed for us. Christ, the Passover Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Behold God's provision. Behold God's substitute payment to take away the sin of the world. The death of Jesus, the sacrificial Lamb, was so sufficient that it addressed every sin of every person that ever has been or ever will be for all time. That's amazing whatever sin that you've committed or are committing now or will commit into the future and for all of humanity. Second Corinthians 5.19 says this. That is that God was, in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Through his sacrifice, Jesus the Lamb, he was reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Not only are we to be reconciled to God, but we are to help reconcile others to God. In fact, this is the week! We should be working really hard at this, helping reconcile humanity to our God, and therefore they can be reconciled to God themselves, inviting them, encouraging them to come. The Lamb of God met the standard of God. The Lamb of God had to be perfect because God is perfect. Jesus was perfect. He's qualified. The Lamb of God had to be human. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He became a man, yet he was a perfect man. Hebrews 2.17 says, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. He had to look and feel and and feel all the things like we did, flesh and bone. He had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation. Propitiation is a fancy word to satisfy the sins of the people to God. He had to be just like us. Jesus fulfilled the requirement to be the substitute. And on the cross, Jesus bore every sin of every person who has ever lived or ever will live for all time. Jesus paid it all. In fact, his last words on the cross are what? It is finished. And what was he saying? I'm done, I'm out of here. No, he was saying, I fulfilled the payment forever, permanently, I am the sacrifice John 3, 16 says, for whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Understand this, Jesus paid for sin. So can I say it this way and don't misunderstand my theology? Sin does not necessarily keep you out of heaven. It's belief in Jesus or not believing in Jesus that does. Come on, somebody. Because he paid for the sin of humanity. Even those that don't receive Christ now not receiving Christ will keep you from heaven, but sin won't because it's been paid for. And if sin keeps you from heaven, then goodness, I'm not sure very many Christians are going to make it. We're thankful we just made it to church (laughs) after last night, right? Or whatever that looks like. That's life. But Jesus paid it all. It's belief in Jesus, the one who is the Lamb of God. It's belief in the Lamb of God that gets your name written in the book of life. Amen. And so he, but he paid the price. So it is... Unfortunate, it is senseless, it is mind-boggling that a humanity would want to pay for their own sin when it's been paid for. And hell is full of people that decided, I'm going to pay for my sin. And I think it's this week that we really have to work really hard to help people understand that their sin has been forgiven, and now it's belief in the one who was the Lamb of God that gets him to heaven. I, I, I can't stress enough how important it is this week to really pray and work hard in inviting people to come and be a part of a service where they can hear the truth and find the one who was the Lamb of God, the sacrifice for all mankind. and It's a belief in him that gets you into everlasting life. I, I, I want to just uh, turn for just a second to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Let me share this with you. For he made... here's how this all worked for he God made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him because of what Jesus did. There was a divine exchange. There was an exchange, the spotless, perfect sacrifice lamb of God who was righteous, exchanged his righteousness to the unrighteous so that we could have a belief system that would take us to heaven one day. I, I, an exchange of righteousness a divine exchange, that's what we all need to participate in. And when we say yes to Jesus, that divine exchange happens then. Sin's already been forgiven, but we take on then his righteousness. It's an exchange. It's almost like if you would look at it this way, or this example. Jesus has a perfect credit score. Wouldn't that be nice, right? Only the Lamb of God could do that today, right? <laughs> Jesus has a perfect credit score, and he exchanges that. He takes yours and gives you his. It's a divine exchange, his righteousness, By belief in him, we receive the good of the exchange. Romans 3, 23 through 28 says this. New Living Translation, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who had sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them, including in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Praise the Lord. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. In other words, there is nothing you can do to pay for your sin. It was a gift by God in Jesus Christ, the lamb, as a sacrifice, a divine exchange. And that's why Jesus had to enter Jerusalem, in a sense, ticking off everybody, religious crowd, and every Roman soldier so that they would crucify the Lamb of God so that you and I, not only would our sin be paid for, but now we can enter into a divine exchange. We can't earn it. It's a gift. It's an amazing gift. I want to read part of that passage again. Romans 3, 23 through 25 in the ESV, English Standard Version. There's three words I want to just briefly that help us understand. I want to explain it to you that will help us understand this a little bit better. And that is, again, Romans 3, 23 through 25, the ESV. I just read for you out of the NLT. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, hold on to that word, by his grace as a gift. As a gift, your justification, it is a legal term, being deemed, even though you're guilty, being de- deemed innocent. In other words, God looks and says, You're innocent. Because He looks at Jesus and He says, They're innocent because you have justified them. Legally, you're, you're as guilty as sin, but God declares legally, You were innocent because of the work of Jesus as a gift. Through the redemption, there's another word for us, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption means it's to be released through the payment of a price. To redeem is to buy something by paying a price for it in order to be released, redeemed. A price was paid for you in order to release you, or then now you would be released or you would be free. You redeem something by paying a price for that to be released, whether it be to you or to something else. And so God says, I'm going to redeem you by paying the price of my son, so I can release you from sin into freedom. And it goes on to say, Whom God put forward, now here's the big word, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation means to be satisfied. In other words, he says, Son. Your sacrifice has just satisfied my judgment for all of humanity. His life, the Lamb of God, has satisfied, has satisfied. God says, I am now satisfied. Jesus satisfies the demands, the just demands of a holy God with his substitution sacrifice. I love those words, but it's important to break them down to understand them. And so we have been declared legally innocent, justified because of the righteousness of transfer, righteousness of Jesus, and we have been redeemed. We have been purchased with a payment to be freed or to be released. And in that, God has been satisfied by the sacrifice of his son, by the Lamb of God. And not only has he been satisfied with you, or now your debt has been satisfied, but all of humanity. It was such an amazing sacrifice that it satisfied Our God, freedom for all of humanity. I love that picture. See, Jesus offers eternal life to all who respond to him and to all who believe. It was Jesus' death on the cross that paid for your sin, but also, also, also broke the authority of the devil over your life. Not only did he pay for your sin, and we're thankful for that, but it broke the authority of the devil on Now, listen, he died on Friday, right? We understand he was crucified on Friday. He was resurrected on Sunday, but guess what he did on Saturday, and this probably should be talked about more, because it was on Saturday that he went down into, into the devil's house and took the keys from him. He beat him up in his own house and took the keys to his house. <laughs> he, he said, these are my keys. <laughs> I wrote it this way because I have this pastor thing that likes to either end everything in the same sounds or rhyme or begin with the same letter. So I wrote it this way. So between crucifixion and resurrection, there was an insurrection. Where Jesus went to hell and rose up against death, rose up against hell and all the forces there, rose up against the grave and defeated them. And he said, I win, you lose. These are my people, not your people. You have no authority over them. I paid the price in victory. Love that. I mean, I love Friday, I love Sunday, but come on, sometimes we just gotta think about a little bit of Saturday. When you feel like the devil's got you trapped. Oh no, oh no. Jesus went down and rose up and rebelled against death and hell and the grave and took the keys. I love that. Now the only way the devil can have anything over you, if you will, is if you let him. So he tries to trick and deceive you. He tries to deceive you. So he tries to convince you that you don't have enough power to be free from him, his plans or his schemes. And the main way he does it is to try to get you to forget about the blood of the lamb. Because it's the blood of the lamb that broke his back. It's the blood of the lamb that broke his power. It's the blood of the lamb that paid your price. It's the blood of the lamb. And so he tries to get you to forget about the power of the blood. And when we celebrate resurrection, great, and we should, and we, and, and, and we walk through the crucifixion, and we should be reminded to be grateful and thankful. But let's not forget, the power's in the blood. And the power, all throughout Scripture, the power's in the blood. And really, all throughout your life and my life, scientifically, medically, the power is in the blood. And it's the blood of the Lamb that purchased yours and my freedom. It's the blood of the Lamb that broke the authority over the devil. So he tries to get you to forget about the blood, but not today. We're thankful for the blood. We're thankful for the blood of Jesus because there is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb, and I am not going to sing it, but you know it. Power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. And it was the blood of the Lamb that freed you and defeated the devil, and it's the only thing that will keep him in his place. So if you really want to mess with the devil, and I know you do, you need to plead the blood of Jesus when you pray. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.